0: I'm Stacy Tyson. Uh, good to see everybody again. A lot of you new faces. Uh, haven't met yet, but look forward to meeting y'all uh, over the next four weeks or so and, and everybody else that get tired of me and see me before. Good to see, see y'all again, too. Uh, today, I'm going to start a short series. This is um, two years ago. I was thinking about this. This doesn't seem like two years ago. Uh, I did a study in this class that uh, I've done with homeschoolers and other classes. And it's a study that I've developed over several years, and it's uh, based on worldview, uh, developing worldview. And uh, this morning, I want to kind of reintroduce some of those ideas. And then over the next several, uh, over the next four weeks, I'm going to take some of these concepts, and we're going to look how they play out in the Gospels. Um, This year, with my ministry, Truth Seekers Fellowship, We've been studying through uh, Luke, and then next year we're going to study through Acts. That's a you know that's a complete work, and uh, it's it's amazed me reading through Luke how many times these issues that are related to worldview pop up and show up in one way or another. And so uh, this this framework that I'm going to talk about um, related to worldview it's it's really one of, to me it's one of the most important things I've ever studied, and and it's still. Um, It still remains a framework that I filter almost everything that I go through on a daily basis through in one way or another. My youngest daughter, she just started at U of M back in the fall, and she's in a discussion group. And uh, she said several times that the students and the teachers are like, how do you come up with some of this stuff that she's talking about in the discussion group? And she told me at home, it's just the worldview stuff. It's the stuff that I learned from you about Worldview. And it, so it becomes a great filter to look at the world and figure out what's going on and why people believe the things they believe. So I'm just going to jump right into it. You may not know what Worldview is, but hopefully here in just a second you'll, you'll have a better idea of what it is. Um, hopefully, I, don't, I, can't, I can't make any guarantees, but we're going to give it a shot. Uh, there on your handout, did everybody get a handout? There, there should be enough going around. Uh, Okay, good. Uh, There at the top, there's a couple of quotes. Uh, One by James W. Sire. Uh, He says, at the base of all our thought, all our ruminations about God, ourselves, and the world around us is a worldview. Now, the reason I start there is simply because everybody has a worldview. Even if they're not aware of it, you have a worldview. And so, we're going to try to figure out what some of those things are that go into that worldview. And uh, I'll say more about that in just a second. The, the, the second quote that I've given, uh, I love this quote for a lot of different reasons, uh, but it focuses on what I really think is at the heart of worldview, and it's this. This is a quote by David Foster Wallace from a commencement speech he gave called, This is Water. And in the middle of that he says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Now think about that statement for just a minute. I think, I think he's hit it dead on, right, right on the head. Everybody worships. Everybody. Now just because somebody's not worshiping Jesus or the one true God, that doesn't mean they're not worshiping. Everybody worships. Everybody has something that focuses their life, that they think is worthy of a great deal of their thought. It's worthy of their time. It's worthy of their money even, right? And that's what we worship. Now, I want you to think about this, because this is kind of where we're headed. What do you think most people worship that live in the United States of America right now in 2023? I'm seeing it, right? Yeah. Oh, money. Yeah. I heard a, I heard a, I heard a, a disastrous uh, statistic this past week. There's a, there's a, there's a show um, movie documentary called "The Social Dilemma," and it's all about social media and how, it is, how that one force is unraveling Western culture, right? Social media is the most dangerous thing that has happened in the last 50 years, to Western culture. And uh, this documentary was talking about the effects of social media. And one of the things that they talked about was the app TikTok. You know, were, all the young people are on TikTok. It's a little, you know, you take a 15-second, two-minute-long video post it up of whatever. And so they were, they were talking about this app that every young kid has on their phone and the difference in the way it's implemented in China and in America. Uh, in China, they have a version of TikTok, but kids are only allowed to be on it for 40 minutes a day. It has a built-in limit, and the only videos that are shown are things that either talk about Chinese nationalism, science and technology, or personal development. That's all you can see on those videos, right? Now, if you look, if you know what's going on on TikTok over here, it's utter nonsense, right? (coughs) Things that are completely useless, untethered from reality, whatever, for the most part, right? So polling kids in America, they were asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? The large majority of Chinese children said, I want to be an astronaut. In America, the answer was, I want to be an influencer. Somebody who sits around making videos in their bedroom. <laughs> that's, that's what an influencer is. And usually it's somebody at, you know, late teens and in their 20s. No, I think I can say this safely in this room. I'm looking around, right? We, we all know something that people in their 20s don't know. You don't know anything. You do not know the way the world works, right? You think you know the way the world works, but reality has not punched your teeth out enough for you to really figure out what's going on. And these are the people that are making the videos that influence their other friends and whatnot, right? So that's, all that is significant because all of that's pushing forward a worldview, right? A view of the world, a way of worship. What is it that's so important we need to spend our time on and our focus on and so forth? So all those things are in the background of what we're going to be talking about. And so uh, defining worldview, I'm just going to touch on this this morning. We're going to talk about some of these these pieces as we go along over the next four weeks. Under those two quotes, uh, I've got a short definition of worldview. And the first one is this. Your worldview is the mental lens that filters and focuses the way you see the world and interact with it. So the worldview is just the mental framework that we have as we go through life that processes everything that happens to us, right? Just the way we look at the world. Do we see the world as a place that is created and overseen by the one true God and He is working everything together towards its good and just conclusions, right? Is that at the foundation? Or do we think that everything just kind of happens, right? Everything happened by chance, by pure accident, right? That's the... That's the major worldview in the West right now, right? Scientific, atheistic, naturalism. Things just kind of happened. Everything just appeared one day. The universe appeared by chance. It's going to disappear by chance. And in the meantime, we can't figure out anything, right? Both of those, those are two very different worldviews. But depending on where you start with all that, it means you're going to come to some very different conclusions about things, right? Either hopefulness or meaninglessness, right? One or two now talking about the Senate and Congress I mean, if you just if all we had was the news to determine our worldview, we would have all given up a long time ago, right? <laughs> we would have all packed up and said, "Oh man, nothing 's going to work, but hopefully there 's something more than that so that 's the easy that 's the easy definition of worldview. the one that 's a little bit more spelled out uh, is the one that 's at the bottom key definition worldview and i 'm going to read through this now you, you may not. This may not track for you first time through, but several of these key ideas we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at in one way or another. So just bear with me, and we're we're going to work through these as we go. So uh, this is a little bit more spelled out world uh, definition for worldview, and it's this: it's a way of seeing the world that's developed from the core commitment, right? So something that takes place at the heart level, a core commitment to a way of worship. That is guided by a set of ideas and beliefs, whether true or untrue, most often set in the form of a master story, which directs the way we understand reality and live our lives together with others. Now, you see, there's a lot more in that one, a lot more pieces. And, and the reason for that is, in the times that I've taught this before, each of those bolded words or, or phrases there, they're really important parts that we then pull aside and and talk about each of those uh, and how they all work together. But uh, I wanted to give you this because I'm going to come back to this each week and we're going to take a different part of it and we're going to talk about what that means in the development of things. And let me just say that as you read that definition, uh, the word that most often used to be used as a synonym for worldview is religion. Everybody has a religion, but that's really fallen... You know, on hard times. Uh, And the reason that I like to say worldview and talk about this in terms of worship and beliefs and all that is, number one, everybody has a worldview. And secondly, even people who claim to be secular, naturalistic, atheistic, they have a worldview and they worship too. Right? So immediately when I start with these ideas, I, I now have a common ground to talk with other people to figure out what's going on, right? And I I would suggest next week, somebody you don't know, ask them this question. What is it that you worship? Have you ever asked asked anybody that question before? It'll probably blow them away. What? I don't know. I didn't know that I was worshiping. Oh yeah, you're worshiping, right? And, And in America, it's either, right? It's either that or... And that's why most people aren't aware of it. Right? Everything in our culture has trained us to be self worshippers everything in our culture right in in two thousand eight in two thousand and eight all right christians i 'm not just talking about the general population Christians spent more help more on health care products than they did on missions in two thousand and eight right first time that had ever happened in human history so even within the church sometimes we can get sidetrack from the things that are more most important, at least the way the scriptures define those things for us. And that, that's really what I'm going to start to talk about here this morning. How do we how do we know what to believe? How do we even know where to start? I mean, where does this whole thing begin and so forth? And so that, that's some of what we're going to talk about this morning. But that definition, I'm going to take a, a piece of those uh, each week and we're only going to talk about four things here. But we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that several more times, and hopefully it will make a little bit more sense as we go. Now, the last thing I'm going to say before I get into what I want to talk about, if you open that handout up, um, and there should be some handouts floating around. Y'all, are there any extras, uh, anybody that needs any? There, so, yeah, okay. Um, so there, if you, if you open that up, this is kind of taking everything I just said, and we're going to break it down into some common components. And at the very top of that second uh, page there, you've got a little diagram with interweaving circles in that. And right above that diagram, I say that all worldviews share a common set of components or categories. And these categories are filled with the knowledge and understanding that each worldview has developed to answer life's key questions. So you can see these seven components, these seven ingredients that make up every worldview worldview. And I'm just going to mention them here briefly, and then we're going to, again, we're going to take our time and, and look at uh, a couple of these that are really important over the next four weeks. Uh, first thing up at the top, you have a truth source, and down below your diagram, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've got just a brief, um, brief title for for each of these. That first one uh, is the ultimate source of truth that is consistent with reality, right? Every worldview has some source of truth that they are trusting beyond everything else to teach and to inform what is really real, what is truth. Every worldview and everybody has some source that they're looking for to find that truth. Right. So that's the that's that's the first big piece of the worldview, and that's the thing we're going to talk about today uh, primarily. Uh, the second thing, th- that truth is then filtered down and it's usually shaped into some master story which makes sense of life and should give us hope. Right? Every worldview has some master story that it's telling. And once you realize this, you're, you're, you're going to see this in everything that you hear. Turn over to the Discovery Channel and you're going to talk about the scientists who talk about the universe being billions and billions and billions of years old. And they're going to tell you what dinosaurs did at a certain age, billions and billions of years ago, even though they weren't there to observe it whatsoever, right? And if you listen to them, they will tell you a story, right? It has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. And everything that they teach is told in the form of this story, this narrative, right? Because narratives, right, stories create meaning for us. They shape meaning for us. When we open the Bible, Genesis 1-1, What does it begin? In the beginning, beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was... What is that? What is that? It's a narrative. Right? It's a story. Uh, If you you don't give praise for anything else today, go home tonight and praise God that He didn't give us His Word in the form of a PowerPoint presentation. (laughs) Aren't you glad you don't open up your Bible? And there on page one it says... Point number one, right? No, 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 no. Why, why does he give us narrative? Well, because narrative encapsulates life for us. Narrative grabs our attention, right? Why are movies so successful? Why do we read books? Good books. Hopefully good books. I've read some terrible books. I'm reading a terrible book right now. I can't wait to get through with it. It's, it's a narrative, right? Uh, but we learn stuff in reading those. And so every worldview has a larger narrative, a master story That tells us where we've come from, why we're here, and where everything is headed. Very important. And and that's one of the ones we're going to talk about. That master story then is communicated, third thing down there, top of the next page, trusted media that records and transmits the ideas and images of that master story. Uh, So every worldview has some form of trusted media. We have a form of trusted media, right? And we all know what it is. We, as believers, as Christians, we believe that this is the Word of God that comes from the ultimate, true source—the Lord God Himself—communicated through the men who wrote the Bible. Right? That tells us a larger, master story. It has a beginning, it has a middle, it has an end. And when we, when you and I open it up, now, I, well, I should say generally. When I can only speak for myself, when I open it up, I believe that the words I'm reading are the Word of God. That this is not something that people have just made up. That this is something that the one true God has communicated to us as human beings so we can figure out the meaning of life. Some of you may have seen the movie uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or read the book, Right, one of the great works of science fiction in the 20th century. Uh, part of the thread of that, that story is the search for the meaning of life. And there's been a computer that's been invented to, to tell you the meaning and purpose of life. And they go and they finally find the computer. And when they get to the computer, the computer tells them the meaning of life. It's 42. How satisfying is that? <laughs> <laughs> meaning of life, 42. Right? It's, it's not a master story. It's, not, right? it's, just, it's, it's a number. Right? And, and the whole point of that whole story is life is meaningless. Life has no purpose. We are, we are at the whims of the so-called technological gods and nothing makes any sense, right? Uh, that's, that's what's communicated in that trusted media, <laughs> uh, if you want to trust something like that. Uh, the, the, the fourth thing that every worldview has, every worldview has a priesthood, which is honored, respected, and trusted. Within Christianity, uh, we are the priesthood, right? Now, there, there are people within that priesthood, elders... Uh, Other people that we revere, teachers, um, several groups within that that we trust um, are leading us and directing us. And of course, ultimately, we believe that the Lord Jesus is our great high priest who keeps company with us and leads us day by day. He speaks to us through his word, but he's also present with us in everything that we do, right? Uh, So really, really important part. Uh, that, that priesthood then creates uh, the in group, right? The, the people that share the worldview, and it connects the people of like mind, right? When you're somewhere and you find out somebody else is a Christian that's there, you immediately think, oh, we have a lot in common. Now, that's becoming less and less true, right? Because i got bad news for you. They're, they're, they... <laughs> Forgive me, y'all. We live now in the culture where some people who claim the name. Christian have no idea what Jesus actually taught. And secondly, they're crazier and nuttier than a Christmas fruitcake, right? Because, and that comes primarily because we are now living in a culture which which has undergone a de-education process for at least the last 50 years. And now we're starting to see the results of that, right? We're, we're starting to see the, uh, if you've ever turned on the TV or read the paper and you think, I don't even understand what's going on. You know what I'm talking about, right? We are, we are now living in a culture that is largely defined by unsanity, uh, uh, untethered from reality, the way it actually is. And so, um, so sometimes these in-groups are harder to see. But once you start to talk to somebody, and you know, oh yeah, he believes in Jesus. Oh yeah, she reads the Bible. Right? We immediately feel a connection. So that in-group is very, very important. Um... It can become toxic, it can become problematic, but we'll, we may touch on that a little bit later. Uh, within that in-group, uh, because of the master story and the truth and uh, the trusted media, there's a set of values that are then practically lived out. Uh, I've got Galatians 5 there. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Right? These are all things that are core to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, if, if I were to ask you, th- th- don't answer this out loud because I don't want anybody to get embarrassed. But if I were to ask you, what is the key value that Jesus teaches us? What would the answer be? Truth. Love, right? Now, truth is, uh, love is based in truth, right? And, and truth is a thing in and of itself. But the value right, that comes out of truth is love, right? And Paul, Jesus teaches this specifically, right? Over and over in the Gospels. Uh, Paul reiterates it in his letters. Peter touches on it in his letters, right? The greatest of these is love, right? Jesus' whole ministry is characterized by love. And when, when the, Then we ask, well, what, what does that value of love look like if that's the key thing that Jesus teaches us? And then we come to these very difficult answers and troubling answers. Love looks like Self-sacrifice. Love looks like doing good to your enemy. Ugh. If any man was going to create a religion, right, start a man-made religion, you definitely would not do what Jesus did, right? He turns away all the people that has money, right? The rich young ruler comes to him, says, "Lord," right, uh, asking the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him everything he needs to do. Uh, yeah, I've, I've done all that. Man, I must be in. Jesus, says, oh yeah, but there's one thing you're lacking, right? You don't remember the story. Go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then you come and follow me. And he walks away, right? And all the disciples are like, how are we going to build a family life center? Man, you're sending that dude away, right? So he turns away the people that could move it along. And then he starts teaching these crazy things like this. You cannot be, you cannot I want to reiterate, you cannot be my disciple unless you take up your cross and follow me daily. And at that point that he says that, the cross is a form of torturous death. Right? You must die to yourself. Now, who is going to start a religion with something like that? Right? You can't make money doing that. And by the day that Jesus ascends back into heaven, there's 120 people. Right? in Acts 1, that are gathered together. 120. At one point, He had fed 4,000 people. So the, the great majority of the people are like, oh, I can't go. And at one point, Jesus starts talking about munching on His flesh and guzzling down His blood. Right? Unless you do that, you don't have any part with me. And many of His disciples walked away. This dude's crazy. Right? So, so here, the, these values, as they're worked out. Within Christianity, our values are very specific, and we're we're going to talk about some of those as we go. And then finally, all of this comes into focus here that that all of this becomes a way of worship, then, which is guided by awe and wonder. Um, this is this is really a good way to figure out where people really are. Just listen to what they talk about the most and get excited about the most, and you'll really figure out where the where where their worldview is. Right? You'll figure out where these things are solidifying and condensing and coming together. And that's one that we'll... I think I'm going to talk about that in the last class together because that one is so important. Uh, But worship, uh, that's the seventh component. So we've got our truth source, we've got a mastered story, we've got trusted media, we've got priesthood, we've got the in-group values, worship, all of those components, everybody who lives on planet Earth answers questions related to all those things and defines all those things in a slightly different way. Now, again, as believers, we have some common answers to all those things, and so that's what binds us together as, as in our worldview as followers of Jesus. And we're gonna, again, we're, we're gonna look at how that applies to us as we go through. But even more than that, I want to kind of pull back and see how that applies to other people as well. Now, the last thing I want to talk about today, and I'm just gonna throw this out. We're gonna continue to this on next week. The last uh, part of your handout, the very last page on the back there. I have this uh, question, where do thoughts begin? And as we think about being human beings on planet Earth and we're trying to figure out uh, how things work and what's really real, what is truth, why are we here, you know, all those big questions, there are really only two uh, basic starting places for thinking about things. And it's this. The first thing is the the one that we're all familiar with. We've all grown up in this worldview. And it's, and it's the belief that God exists. There is a God who created everything, and He is out there. Some of you are familiar with the works of Francis Schaeffer, um, you know, the great Christian philosopher in the middle of the 20th century, great thinker. Uh, he, he had a book called uh, God is There and He is Not Silent, right? And his whole point was, well, Western in that book, and really this is the main theme of his, all of his works really, is that there is a God who exists. He is communicated to humanity. And that, commun- that communication, that truth in the Scriptures, formed Western culture. That revelation formed the basis of Western culture. You and I would not be in a democratic republic in 2023 if it were not for that reality. And so Schaefer talked a lot about that and made a big point about that. And that's this first starting point. God exists. Uh, if God exists, that opens up the doorway, at least, hopefully, for revelation. That, that if we have a God who created us, He can communic- maybe He can communicate to us and tell what's going on. Now, again, we, we believe that's true. We believe that's what we have in the Scriptures. And if the Lord has communicated, that opens the doors for transcendentals. Now, we're going to talk about those a little bit later. These are the, these are the great ideas that, that shape everything else. Truth. When we ask the question of what is true, we need somebody to help us define what that is, right? It's a transcendent idea. Truth uh, is not determined just by what I think it is. Right? There's a definition for truth that transcends, that stands above everything else. What is good? How do we know what is good? Well, I need some transcendent idea of what it's good. Uh, and y- y'all think about our culture if we were to ask these questions what is true what is good what is glorious or beautiful where would our culture go to answer those questions largely it'll go to itself right because we we're now at the stage in our culture where everybody's taking a vote on what is right and wrong who is in who is out right this is all what cancel culture is about and the only standard that we have for it is whatever is acceptable in the moment by the most by the majority of people and that's part of the reason why we're in the mess we are in right there's no transcendent truth that stands above that truth that is true no matter what age you find yourself in right murder is always murder no lo- no matter what time you're living on planet earth why because god has said thou shalt not murder right that is that is always wrong even in eternity that's wrong, right? Now, in our culture, we're, we're, we're now taking votes on that, right? And we don't really believe that anymore, and especially when it comes to the unborn. We've all gotten together and decided, no, that, that, that one is okay. We can do that, but let me tell you, we are quickly moving in the direction where life is becoming less and less important and significant, and we're getting back to the point where, yeah, uh, he was probably justified murdering that, right? Because... If we're just taking a vote, then we're always going to do what everybody wants to do. It makes everybody feel happy, right? So uh, transcendentals are very important, right? These are, these are the truths above the truth. And if those things exist, then that also opens the doorway to hope for us. We can, we can really figure out what, what is going on in the world, what's actually happening. Now, on the, on the, the next tier down there, uh, this is the second starting place. God does not exist, Right? If everything just kind of happened, right, by, the, by chance, by pure, utter accident, we're just here because the right molecules got together, you know, and formed hydrogen, and then, you know, and then if you give it long enough, right, billions of years, then it forms the human brain, most complex thing that's ever existed, right? Uh, that, that's kind of happened because everything fell together at the right place, right? Uh, If God does not exist, right, then we're simply left to our observations about the world. All we can do is look at the world and then try to extrapolate out of what we see and try to figure out what's real and true and so forth and so on. Um, What that leads us to is just the data about life because there's nobody there to tell us. Well, this is good, this is bad, this is true, this is not true, right? And ultimately, what you wind up in is despair, hopelessness, right? And, and let me just say this. I, I may talk about this in one of the future sessions. There is no worldview. Now, and people think I'm overstating this when I say this, but I am not. Uh, James Sire has written a whole book cataloging different worldviews that, that have existed or that exist right now. There is no worldview that begins with God does not exist that has not ended in utter despair and hopelessness and insignificance. And meaninglessness—that is a line that you cannot survive. A human being very rarely survives. The, the, the quote that I have on the first page by David Foster Wallace—that everybody worships, right? Everybody worships. Uh, in 2008, David Foster Wallace—he—he he was. Uh, some people consider him the most important postmodern writer of the later twentieth century. Uh in uh, 2008, he went out in his backyard and hung himself. After struggling and struggling with years with depression, right? Uh, by the way, I would really encourage you to read that commencement speech because Wallace was not a believer. Wallace was not a believer, not not even close. And what he what he says is in that speech is everybody worships something. And you better be dang sure you're worshiping something that's worthy of worship. Because anything beyond something that is transcendent, like God or Jesus or Buddha or Muhammad, he he adds everybody in there, everything else will kill you and eat you alive. That's what he tells these college kids. And not long after that, he goes out and hangs himself. Why? Because he starts here. God does not exist. It's all up to us. It's all on our own, right? This is the problem that Frederick Nietzsche had, right? The, the beginning of, of um, nihilistic thought. Everything is meaningless. There's no meaning anywhere. Well, if that's true, why do I keep on living? Because this world sucks, pardon my French. Right? This world is terrible. This world is a hellhole of disease and decay and pain. Why would I want to stick around? So you go on here, right? That's the worldview that begins there. But if, if we have this top view here, God exists, and he, he may have spoken to us. And those of us that do believe that He's spoken to us, now all of a sudden we've got hope. Now, I, I want to apply this to something here. Uh, and I'll leave you thinking about this. I'm going to come back and talk about it next week. Open up to Luke chapter 1 with me. And I want to show you how this issue of Revelation is so important. Luke chapter 1. In fact, I'm going to read uh, a couple of things quickly to you, and then I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, Luke chapter 1, this is all a story very familiar with. We, we just got through thinking about it at Christmas with the birth of Jesus. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 26. Uh, the first half of Luke chapter 1, which by the way, you know, Luke chapter 1 is 80 verses long. There are some books in the New Testament that aren't that long. Uh, 80 verses long. So in the first half of Luke 1, uh, Gabriel, the angel, has been sent to give messages to Zechariah, the priest, and Mary, the mother of our Lord. And in verse 26, that's where I want to pick up, Luke one twenty-six. it says this, Now in the, sixth month of the, uh, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you There will be no end. Uh, There are those last verses. Gabriel is just telling her some of the major points of the master story that she's living in. The narrative that's been given to uh, the Jewish people at this point had foretold that a great king was going to come from the line of David. And so here, Gabriel is just reiterating what Mary has known. But then verse 34, he says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? and the angel had departed from her. Right Now we all know the story. Gabriel, who is the messenger angel. And by the way, uh, Mary would have known who Gabriel was. He had already shown up in the Old Testament. Gabriel had appeared to Daniel. Uh, he is the great messenger angel. And as he said, he said to Zechariah earlier, that he stands in the presence of God. And so this angel who stands in the presence of God has come to give Zechariah and Mary messages from the Lord God. You follow me? Now, hold that in mind just for a second. Turn over to Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to ask you a trick question here. <laughs> Matthew chapter 1, uh, we get the same set of events, but from a little bit different uh, perspective. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is what Matthew, this is what Matthew. Because Matthew has the long genealogy in the first 17 verses. Um, and then as he begins the narrative of the birth of Jesus, he says this, verse 18, Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with, with child from the Holy Spirit. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I picked these stories because these stories illustrate this top line for us. God exists, and He has communicated something to us. And this is what I want you to think about. There is Mary, right? And she's going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. If Gabriel had not given her the message that he gave her, right? That you're going to conceive a son by the Holy Spirit, and He will be the Son of the Most High, and you will call His name Jesus. If she had not received that revelation... From God through Gabriel the messenger, if she did not have that message, and one day she just became pregnant, and all she had was her observations about the world and the data about the world, do you think she could have ever come to the right conclusion about what was going on? Or how about this? Let's frame it this way Mary doesn't get any of that message, and one day, ah, she's pregnant. And she goes to Joseph and she says, I'm pregnant. You think Joseph is going to come to the right conclusion? No. And he just did it in Matthew 1. Right? Mary is pregnant, and when Joseph finds out, what does he decide to do? He decides to do the merciful thing, the righteous thing, and put her away quietly. Right? But does Joseph know at this point that her child. <laughs> has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? Could they have sat along by themselves looking at what happened? Do you think they would have ever come to the conclusion that that baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit? No! There was no precedent for that whatsoever. You search the Scriptures in and out and you don't find one episode of uh, anybody (laughs) that became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And this is my point. In order for Joseph to make the right decision in his situation, revelation from the one true God is absolutely necessary. You you understand what I'm saying? If Joseph had not received that dream, he would have not done what is right. Same thing if Mary had not received the revelation from Gabriel, and all of a sudden she became pregnant, Would she ever think about that in the right way? She would would be sitting around like, I swear, what happened? I've never been with a man. Do you think she would ever come to the conclusion, oh, well, it was God who got me pregnant. And my son is the long-awaited Messiah, the descendant of David. But more than just being the figurative son of God, he is going to be the literal son of God. You understand what I'm saying? Without that revelation, both Mary and Joseph would have been right, lost in a cloud of meaninglessness. Lost in a cloud of confusion. What in the world is going on? And that's, that, right, that's, that's the exact thing that happens when we reject or when we don't have revelation from the one true God. And every worldview begins at one of these two places. Our culture is now neck deep in this bottom option down here. God does not exist, and He definitely has not spoken to us. Unfortunately, you and I live in a time that even within the seminaries, you know, schools that are training men and women to go out and do ministry, the large majority of seminaries that exist in America right now are teaching that the Word of God is not the actual Word of God. It's all made up by men imaginations of men, right? It wasn't actually God speaking through people to anybody. It's simply a man-made product. And once you strip away that foundation, that foundation of, 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 of revelation, everything else starts to crumble, right? And we wind up in the mess that we're in the middle of, both within the church and, out, and and here I'm talking about the church in general. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. If you've if you've been watching what's happening in the Methodist denomination over the last year uh, years, right? Uh, the splits that are happening there, what's going on? If you look at what's happened within evangelicalism in general, right? The splits and the division. All of that in my mind can be traced back to one thing: the rejection of the Word of God as truth. The rejection of the Word of God, as transcendent truth. Truth that is truth no matter when you're alive, no matter when it's read, no matter what culture you're in, it's a truth that stands above. And when that when that foundation is stripped away, then everything is up for grabs. Right? Everything is up for grabs. And that's why, you know, in the days that we have ahead of us, it's so important for our culture, for us as believers, to, to keep to keep at our message, right? That this is truth. The Word of God is truth. And it's the foundation for everything that we got. All right, y'all, I'm a little bit over. Irv, uh, you had an observation question. Well, it's also in the pulpit too. Yeah, it is, sadly. Yeah. And doesn't this beg the question and the answer is very informative. How do you know that it's true? Yeah, that's what I want to talk about next week. Yeah. Thank you. That's a great That's. Hey, man, uh, we couldn't have ended on a better note. Yeah, that, that, That's exactly what I want to get into next week. It's, it's one thing to say that something's true, but how do I know that that's true, right? Great. Uh, that's it. And one more thing. That's probably need.